started a uh, brief series just on living victoriously in difficult times, and obviously in our country as well as around the world, uh, Christians are living in uh, difficult times. And if you remember, we first week we realized it's a fact of life that it's going to increase as time goes on, as Christ gets closer. We also have choices during the difficult times. We can desert or we can allow the difficulties to develop us. Uh, we can display God's... Uh, character through us, what we're going through, and remember to allow him to uh, to repay rather than having us repay, not easy to do, and obviously too the duration when we get to the end, if we will stay true, there's a great reward that's awaiting us. We also have to talk about the focus during these difficult times, what possessions we do have, and uh, I think so often we look at what we don't have or what we lost, but we have eternal possessions that no one can take from us. We also look at the fact that it's passing. It can only last this lifetime. And for some of us, it's not a whole lot of time left. And I think it's important for us to, to recognize the, the difficulty. I think so often we think about it, but eternity is a long time. A long time. Also, if you remember, we think it also then focus the fact that it proves who we are. Satan is going to attack the ones who are serving him proves who you are. And also remember we're told to fix our eyes on who? Jesus. Instead of on our circumstances or on other people. Looking at it. We also looked last week, remember we saw the uh, pattern of Paul. And basically it was, you know, Paul talked about it was prophesied, but part that we saw with Paul is he realized that sufficiency was not in himself. And I think so often we think we can handle it and need to realize our sufficiency for these difficult times it's not going to come from ourselves. It's going to come from God. Second thing, I think, is just the sufficiency, obviously, is of Christ. And then also, then, the, remember the shouldering of the load. We're told in Galatians to carry your own load, but in verse 2, when you have a load that's too heavy, you need to allow others to help you carry the load. So you carry your load, but then if there's times when somebody is too heavy, their load, you help them along the way. So that kind of takes us then to uh, today. I remember Gene taught a class 40 years ago or so, and the title of the class was How to Deal with How You Feel. How many of us are ready to sign up? And, and obviously with teenage, she was teaching teenage girls and uh, uh, dealing with all the emotions going all over the, uh, the map. Uh, but I think it's interesting, we, we have the same thing. Uh, you see it all the time. It happened at work this last Thursday. I was in my office for just a minute. I heard some yelling and screaming in the next room mower in the, in the shop and didn't know what in the world was going on and apparently two of them got into it one was threatening the other one and doing other things so one of them quit and believed and so then the one who did the threatening had just got this job was on probation had a great job and then when he goes into uh, he's ex-military and he, he has the PSD whatever they call it PSD whatever anyway he uh when he goes in to talk to the boss and the HR, rather than think about it, he starts pointing his finger and threatening them. So the chances of him having a job on Monday is very, very slim. That he brought on himself. But then you have other ones. Uh, Will called me Friday evening, and he said, well, you know, what do you uh, think I ought to do? And he was accused by other people uh, at school about things that they're accusing him of doing, and it's like, 
I wasn't even, I had no part of that. This has happened in May. I had no responsibility. None of this is me. And uh, people are coming to him and obviously uh, do anything. So what do you tell them? And by the way, doesn't that happen to us, all of us regularly? People don't look at the facts or don't look at things and realize, hey, I can't even be you. You weren't even in part, you weren't even in that thing at that time. So I think about it, you know, what do you tell them? So I want to think about it. When you, how to deal with how you feel because our emotions are going to be all over the place dealing with difficulties one we want to make sure it's not something we brought on ourselves but there's others that are going to happen beyond that and I want to do it by answering or asking two questions what is God doing anybody ever asked that question mm-hmm. and the second one what can I or should I do when I'm in it and obviously we can't cover all of it but I will skip some of it so turn over to Romans chapter 8 what's God doing and we'll see it in Romans 8. We'll see it in 2 Corinthians as well. Romans chapter 8. You notice in verse 29, Romans 8, 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? be conformed to the image of his son. What's he doing in our lives? Making us more like Jesus. He's making us more like Jesus. Now, does he ask you what plan he should take to do that? He's conforming us. We may not know how he's doing that or why he's choosing this means, but we need to realize where he's taking us. Any of you who've been in sports, you have the same thing. Or those of you who played a musical instrument. When the kids were growing up, all those going up and down, those scales, all man alive, they'd drive you nuts. Uh, but the ones that you still do, but the ones who learned how to do it really made a difference when they were down the road. So think about it. What is it? The destiny. Keep in mind the destiny. Why, when football starts with all these football players, how many of them think they just want to be out there for two or three at times a day in the nice heat doing all that. Why do they do it? Because of the destiny. They want to be, whether it's a starter or they want a state title or they want a national title or whatever it might be. They endure it because of the destiny. We need to realize what Christ is doing is He's making us more like His Son. And he, we have to trust in then that who's all-knowing? He is, I'm not. I think it's important to recognize that part of it. Look over in uh, 2 Corinthians. So the destiny is one thing. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. What's God doing? Notice in verse 18. But we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of God. Our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Lord of the Spirit. We are being transformed. It takes time, it's a process, and we need the Holy Spirit. So notice that He doesn't ask us. He is transforming us into His Son. It's a duration. It's going to last our entire lifetime. And ultimately, in the end, we will not have all made it or even got close. None of us have. But 
we're getting closer and he'll change it then. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3, you know, I haven't reached it yet, but I forget what lies behind and I press forward. So the first question is, what's God doing? He's making us more like his son. And you get to 1 Peter and 2 Peter, it's actually <clears throat> with the fiery things you're in, it's actually a, a uh, silversmith's term. And in, in Christ's day, when a silversmith was working with metal and they heat it up, how hot did they get it? Okay, did the silversmith ever leave? He has to have it at the right temperature, he has to maintain. He also, when the dross would come to the top, he's constantly taking the dross off. When does he know when all the dross is off? In that day, how would they know? When he sees his reflection. So Christ is going to keep us being heated up and do all this until He sees what? Until He sees Himself in us. So it's important when we're looking at it, where is He taking me? So am I going to work with His plan or am I working against it? And how many of you, when you're trying to take your kids somewhere when you remember or your grandkids and they call kick and screaming all the way when it's actually where you're taking them, it's good for them? How many of us are doing the exact same thing? We have to trust the Creator of the world, our Savior, that He has a plan. We know His plan. We may not know exactly how He's getting us to the end, but we know what the end is. So I think it's interesting God work with His plan or against it. That's why in Romans 12 it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing. The renewing of your mind. What we put in our mind. And so I think it's important for it. So notice, first of all, the first question, what's God doing? He's making us more like His Son. Second one, what can I or should I do? I'm going to look at several of them and give you a baker's dozen if we get that far, I don't know. And you choose some of them that will fit your life or where you're at. But since you're in the, the Second Corinthians, uh, notice in verse 4, chapter 4 in verse 1, Second Corinthians 4, 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, and by the way, how many of us have a ministry? 1 Corinthians 12 tells us everyone has a different ministry. Different gift, different effects. So we all have a ministry. As you receive mercy, we do not lose heart. So the first thing is we need to persevere. How many of us want to quit when things get a little tough? You know, Romans chapter, or Hebrews chapter 12 says we talk, run the race that's set before you is where the word is where we get a word agony from. It's a marathon. This is a lifetime adventure. How many wish it was a 100-yard dash? All you have to run every once in a while, just when it really starts to get tough, it's over with. That's not what we're in. We need to persevere. So the first thing, what can I do or should I do, is persevere to the end. Notice that thinking interesting, the other part that you look at, when talking about the persevering part, what about, how many of you remember the movie uh, Iron Will? You remember the movie Iron Will? Talk about the, the uh, little young man who's he's, they're losing the farm and he sees the parents are losing the farm and he sees about the, ra- the dog sled race, the famous one that you have in Canada. And he's young and yet he signs up for it. He ends up winning it. It's actually a true story. And because of the winning money that was promised he was able to save the family from That's an uh, interesting movie. I'm sure you know how Hollywood is. they got to add a few things along the way. But you think about it, a 
That's why it's called Iron Will. He was going up against, obviously, adults, seasoned people, and everything else. But he had a determination, a perseverance. He was, I have to do it, or we're going to lose everything. And so he does it. Think about it. Are we willing to persevere? Notice also, I think it's interesting, where do you get your power from? You know, notice, I think the power is obviously is given a couple of them. Look over, since you're in chapter 4, let's go back to 3 for just a moment, from verse 4 and 5, and then we'll look down in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, and verse 4 and 5. And such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate ourselves, as to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So where does our power come from? How many of us are trying to do it on our own? I think that's where one of the biggest problems come in. You can do things or sure willpower for a while, but you will not go all, make it all the way to the end. That's why the fruit of the Spirit. We have to have the power of God. That's why when you look on in chapter 4, then he's going through the same thing, talking about what we just saw. Notice in verse 7 of chapter 4, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels. What treasure? We have the gospel. We have the message of Jesus Christ. A treasure in our earthly vessel that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. But we have an enormous treasure that the world needs. And we need the power of God. So we need to persevere. But I need the power of God to help me persevere. Otherwise, I will not make it. I think it's interesting. You keep reading. It's interesting, too. Starting in verse 8, then down through uh, verse 15. Think about this. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How many of you already wore out? You go to 2 Corinthians 12, you see what all Paul went through. But why is he going through all this? Keep going. Always caring about in the body of dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we live, are constantly being delivered over to the death of Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life, notice, to who? To you. But having the same faith, spirit of faith, According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. So you notice you have the perseverance, the power, but notice the third thing is people, not us. Paul is doing all this for whose benefit? Why is he going to every city and suffering for For Christ. Because he's thinking about who? He has this treasure that they need. And he's willing to suffer no matter what it is so that they hear the message of Jesus Christ. And we have the same thing. We have a message what for believer, non-believer. We have the same thing. We, it's going to be suffering. It's going to be difficult. Uh, you have the same thing. And I know some of you are teachers and everything else. You go, often you go through, why do you do all this? But every, so often you'll see the person's face when the light bulb comes on. And they realized they got it. And that carries you for the next day, week, however long. You don't get a light bulb every day. But when you do, it's the same. So think about it. We need to persevere. Our power is not in ourselves, it's in God. We look for people and not to ourselves. 
Notice what happens in verse 16 down to 18. Look at the product. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. A momentary light affliction. Doesn't that sound like momentary light affliction that he's going through? It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look on the things which are seen, but are things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are unseen, not seen are eternal. Notice the product. How important is Paul looking at the eternal product? I think it's what's so hard in anything. We're looking for immediate results. Paul looks at the eternal results. When he gets to heaven, according to uh, 2 Thessalonians, when they asked, how do you spend his life? He said, I'm going to turn to you all and say, this is my crown of glory. What do I have to show for my life? It's these people that are up here that I helped along the way. We're going through this persecution, as we all will in different things. I think it's going to get much worse in our country. I don't believe it's going to get any better. We need to persevere, obviously. We need to have the power. It's not going to come from us, but from God. We need a product, looking at the end results. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I think now I those. Look over at 2 Corinthians 7. Paul is concerned about him. You know, starting in verse 5. But even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. Think about it. How many of you, were, it's bad when you have one or the other. But notice he has both. Constantly persecuted on the outside. And he's concerned about the believers that he had to get on. Each city gets run off and they're not, he wasn't able to stay with them and really help them along the way as much as he'd like. He had constant burdens for them. He never gets away from them. Inward, outward, constant conflict. So what helps him? In verse 6, But God who comforts the distress covered us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he comforted, comforted in you as he reported to us your long, your mourning, your zeal for me. Sorry, Joyce, even more. When you're in the middle of it, we need partners. How important is it for a, a fellow believer to come along and help you? Encouraging word. If you don't believe it, how many of you have how many of you have kept any cards you've been given? How many of you have ever read any of those cards? It's amazing. Or you keep a recording, or you keep whatever it might be. We have partners, and we need to realize, well, that's just a little card. If the Lord's laying somebody on your heart, you don't know what they may be going through, inward, outward. But if He's laying on your heart, or you write a card. It's amazing what you do, huh? I read a story about an individual. He actually even ended up writing a book, and he's a believer today. He wasn't at the time. Everything was falling apart. His life, finances, everything. And he got convicted that he needs. So every single day, he writes a card to somebody and mails it. Every single day. 365 days a year. What, what, what changed in him? He starts realizing what? What he has. It totally changed his attitude of what all he has to be thankful for. 
So I think it's interesting when you look at how many of us are writing different things to be. And I'm sure when you all see this, oh, that's just, you know, first thing you do is what? You want to open it up. So notice that I think the part is partner. Go over to uh, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Persevere, you have power in the Holy Spirit. <coughs> you look at people and not yourself, trying to help them. The product, the end result, uh, obviously you have uh, partners that help you along the way. In chapter 12, notice in verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Well, why would Paul have a tendency to exalt himself? Book-wise, he wrote half the New Testament. Could that, if that was you or I, could that maybe cause us to think we're a little something? How many churches did he found? How many things did he do? I mean, he... So notice then, Satan... We don't know exactly what it is. Some say eyesight, some say a lot of different things, but we don't know what it is. So what happens when we are in this persecution, these difficult times, whether it's coming from Satan or whatever? Notice what he does. He prays. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that I might depart from me. Okay, so when things happen, we need to pray. But notice in verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about the weakness and the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with the weaknesses and the insults, with the stresses, persecution, and difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. So we need to pray about it, but what happens if God says no? It takes us to the next part, is our place. Who's the potter? Who's the clay? I ask the Lord, and if he says no, whatever it might be, the answer is what? He may say yes, or he may say wait. How many of you are glad when he said no, and later on you realize that would have been a big mistake? Did that ever happen to any of you? Ever want a job till you realize more of what's in that job? You know? I was talking with Will even about this job. He's talking about athletic directors. I said, okay, this is what you're going to be dealing with on a regular basis. You don't want to be dealing with this kind of stuff, then you don't want that kind of job. And actually, be a great thing to see because you will have those kind of things when you get into it. So I think a lot of times the Lord's just showing us, giving you a little taste, and realize, hey, thank God I don't have that. So here you have the we need to persevere, right? Where do we get our power from? We need to look at people, helping them along the way, and not look at us. All poor little old me, right? What product? Look at the eternal, the line, and not the dot. What's eternity? How many of the things we work so hard for in, our, in this life? How many of you are taking your car with you? Your truck, your house, nothing. But can you take people with you? You can take people with you. We have partners. We need to be a partner along the way. We need people to help us. We're not an island to ourselves. We need help. But we need help others too. You try to do it all yourself, and it's going to be one lonely place, and it will not be done well. You're spread way too thin. Obviously, we need prayer. We need to realize the place. 
He's the charge. If he says yes, or he says no, or he says wait, that's his place, and I need to recognize my place. Let's look at some others. Look over to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1. Now, when Paul wrote to this particular book, Philippians, where was he? He's in Rome. He's a prisoner. Would you say that he's living in some difficult times? How many of you would love to be in there? there? Notice what he does in verse 12. Philippians 1.12 Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What's Paul thinking about? So that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard to everyone else. And most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. There was 9,000 Praetorian Guard. And what happened? You were chained to one. Paul's outspoken, speaking about the truth, and that guy can't go anywhere. And he's talking to him. And notice how many of them have come to know Christ because of it. But if Paul wasn't in prison, would they have heard it? Okay, what about you and I? What happens when we have these different issues? Whatever those things we're facing. What about the Philippian jailer? Beaten wrongly, but because of his attitude and because of the singing and everything else, the Philippian jailer does what? What must I do? He says, you've got something I want. So I think it's interesting is our perspective. Most of us Lord, I want patience, and I want it what? Right now. Yeah, I, you know, and then Lord, I want out of this. I want out of this. But what we need to be doing is what? Lord, what are you trying to teach me, or how can I be your representative in this? I don't understand, but how can I be your representative? Unless you have the positives, look over, go back a few to Romans chapter 8. We were there starting, look at Romans 8. So think of the positives. Isn't that what he tells you later in Philippians 4? Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure. Think of the positives. And so, <clears throat> trying to you know, do that with Will too. Hey, look at the positives. You were talking about wanting this, and hey, it's a good thing it's showing you. It was just uh, temporary. You did it. Now they've already hired somebody for that job. And you realize it's not for you. Be thankful that you're not, you know, you're not stuck in it. But notice in Romans chapter 8, it's interesting. You have a couple of them here. We saw the, uh, <clears throat> what God's doing, but we also can see what we should be doing. Notice in verse 18. For I consider the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed to us. What's your perspective? I think it's important to, uh, to constantly recognize perspective. Hey, this is nothing compared to what we're going to get. And I can put up with this because of what I'm going to get. We do it all the time in sports and other things. But why don't we do it in our eternal life? Because that's for eternity, not for just some fleeting moment. Our perspective, but notice also I think it's interesting, notice in verse 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as we're written, for thy sake we are being put to death day all day long. 
We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor demons, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, nor anything created, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What do you have? They can take everything from you, but they can't take what? They can't take the love of Christ. And I look at it as we're all getting older. How many of us are losing things? We're losing our hearing. We're losing our eyesight. We're losing our strength. We're losing our memory. We're losing all kinds of things. But one thing we will never lose, and that is the love of Christ. And it's important to recognize it because at times you're going to think, if God loved me, He would do this. No, hold it. It's interesting that Paul writes it. He's been through everything much worse than any of us will ever have to go through. And he realizes the love of God is there. If I would think about it, if you were Christ, how many would like to have left heaven to come down to this earth to die for people who didn't even want to hear? Amazing love of Christ. So notice that I think it's important, our possessions. And nobody told us in Hebrews 13, I will never what? Leave you nor forsake you. He's with us everywhere we go. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Think about it, the perspective. You notice also, we have some others. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 2. I told you I'd give you a baker's dozen and you can all pick the ones that fit best for you. 1 Peter chapter 2. Notice in verse 20, 1 Peter 2.20. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Kind of like what went on to the one at work. But when if, but if when you do not what is right suffer for patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So what happens when it's you're serving the Lord and you're suffering and it's not right? It said, patiently what? Endure it, it finds favor with God. He likes to see that you're willing to suffer for Him. But how many of us want to patiently endure? We're wanting to run and scream and do all kinds of stuff. Notice 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His footsteps. Is Christ called to suffer? Are we called to suffer? And we need to patiently endure. And I think it's one of the hardest things to do is patiently endure. Next week, Lord, we'll look at Job. He didn't know what was going on. But he set us a good example of how to do it. What about in chapter 3 of Peter? You'll find it in chapter 3. You'll find it again in chapter 4. Notice what he says in verse 14 of chapter 3. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are what? Blessed. How do you consider it you're blessed, you're privileged to suffer for Jesus? In the book of Acts, where they said they rejoiced greatly when they were suffered for Christ. It's amazing our perspective. We believe that God, if we're serving Him, ought to get us out of it. And they're saying, hey, I'm glad that they saw me worthy of you and that you suffered, and I'm worthy to suffer with you. It's amazing this the 
How many of us are looking at it as a privilege? That he believes that we can handle it and that he won't allow anything to come in our lives that we can't handle. Now, we may not think we can handle it, and we can on our own, but with him, we can. Let's end up with one. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Notice in verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of my name. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is what? Great. What's the promise? Your reward in heaven is great. If we have the right attitude and suffer for the right reason. It's interesting. But again, all these are choices. What can I do when I'm facing all these difficulties? Or should I do? Should I persevere? Where do I get my power from? I try to do it only on my on my own. How long will it last? Today, part of today, tomorrow, whatever. We need to look at the people that we're helping along the way and keep the mind of what we're helping them with. I think as a teacher or anything else, one of the, it's one of the hardest things, nurse or anything else, is look at that. And you will not try to tell my son or anything else, you will not see that in the first year, the second year. It's 10 years later. It's 15 years later. I have one came to me uh, a few months ago and saw him again last week. He's a multi-millionaire here in Tulsa. And he come up to me and he said, you saved my life. Because of what you did, I kind of know Christ, you saved my life for what you taught me in class and it turned my life around. That didn't happen then. He was pretty wild and he was down the road. But what you gave him, but you don't know that until later on. So many of you will never know. You'll never know. But it's interesting, he chose to come and tell me that. Hey, you saved my life. But how many of us know the message we're telling? Paul did the same thing. We don't know. Now they may reject the message, but that's not up to us. Notice the product. I said, what partners? So we need partners. I need to be a partner, and you all need to be a partner. All the different people come in our life. When we have too much, we need to help somebody, give it to somebody else to help us. And how many of you find it easy to let somebody help you? How many of you are willing to help other people, but you don't want people helping you? Uh, I've told you many times when I did yards, it was that way. One of the quickest ways to destroy a yard is with a weed eater. I mean, you'll destroy a yard with a weed eater faster than you. You'll destroy more plants. So I did all the weed eating. Well, what happens is we have, on one block we did nine, another block I did 15. Well, early spring, what did the customers all do? It's cool, they all come out and they want to talk to you and have all these other things. So you stop and you're talking to them. All the mowing is done. And what is the help doing? They're waiting on you. And they're getting a paycheck and... You realize, hey, I need to do what? I need to train them on how to do it so that we all end up doing the job where we're all finished about the same time. I need them and they need me. But I have to turn that over. And quite often, it's amazing how quickly we turn it over when it affects our pocket. How many of us will turn it over when we realize it's God that's doing it? We also need to remember a prayer. 
we turn it over to the Lord and we pray. Lord, help me in this difficult time. Take it from me. Do whatever. If not, Lord, you're the boss. I recognize my place. If I need to endure it, teach me what I need to learn. Or who I need to talk to. Why was Paul in Rome? Part of it was the Praetorian Guard. Also, when he was in Rome, how many books in the New Testament did he write? If he wasn't there, he would have been going to other churches and he would not have time to have written so much of the New Testament. Think of the positives Paul did. What about the possessions? Don't think of what's been taken from you. Think about what you do have. Most of us think about what we have lost. What about your perspective? The eternal perspective? Patiently endure? How would you like to think of it as a privilege? It's a privilege serving the Lord, and when they ridiculed me, realized they ridiculed him. And this means that they recognize and I'm a believer. And it's amazing how often they will criticize you, but when something comes up, how many of them will come to you privately and will talk to you and ask you to pray about something? And obviously the last one, what promise? What promise do we have from the Lord? If we endure the persecution, we have an eternal reward. So think about it. Do I work with this plan or do I work against it? What's he trying to do in my life? He's trying to make me like who? Like Christ. So when I think about it, I gave you a baker's dozen, so how many of you can name a couple of them? Just think about this week. Which one or two does God want you to work on? If we try to do all 13 of them at once, you can get overwhelmed. Just take one or two. What does God want me to do this week? Work on